This is Jerry Bingham, host of Hush Loudly on WGN Plus. You should know. If one-third to one-half of your employee population is introverted and you're not taking into consideration that these are people who need a little time to think things through in order to bring their best thinking to the conversation, if you're not making space for that, you're missing a third to a half of your brain power. That's a huge deal. Won't make a mistake, I'll be Hi, this is Andrew Bennett, and you're listening to Hush Loudly on WGN. You have to believe we are magic. Nothing can stand in our way. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Hush Loudly, where we talk about all the fun things, all introverted-related things in life. And I am happy to bring on another introvert who I've met previously. As we talk about introversion, we all sort of hear different definitions. And one way we like to describe it is how introverts draw energy from within and recharge usually in solitude. And we expend energy in social situations versus extroverts who gain energy with social interaction. And we are never going to bash extroverts. We love them. We live with them. We work with them. We need each other. We balance each other out. But we like to have conversations with introverts doing exciting things like our next guest. So I'm going to read to you a little bit about Andrew Bennett. He is a keynote speaker, consultant, coach, two times TEDx presenter, ooh, and professor at American University in Washington, D.C., specializing in leadership organizational culture, and personal development. He's also a world-class magician, and I've seen his magic, and a member of London's Magic Circle. Andrew is on a mission to revitalize the human spirit and has worked with over 120 organizations, including Google, Microsoft, and Habitat for Humanity. His first TEDx talk, The Magic of Words, has been viewed over a half million times. So welcome, Andrew Bennett, to Hush Loudly. Thank you very much, Jerry Bingham. (laughs) Okay, so we're smiling. We're going to be smiling all through this because we know each other and like each other very much. So I just had to add that in there. (laughs) So, Andrew, let me ask you the big question, even though I've already stated it. Are you an introvert? Yes, I am. And why do you believe or think you're an introvert? Have you ever taken a personality test like Myers-Briggs that let you know, or what's the deal with that? Yes, I took my first Myers-Briggs back in 1989, and I was living living in Australia, and I was working for Ross Perot, who uh, was the former... U.S. presidential candidate. He was my mentor for 10 years, and he sent me to Australia, and I was running an account there, and I was failing miserably. It was my first six months working this business, and Ross knew that it had something to do with my inner life. Mm -hmm. I had this compulsive need to please people, and so he had me see a psychologist. 
and the psychologist gave me the Myers-Briggs, and that's, at the time in 1989, I was kind of slightly on the extroverted side of the continuum, and I took my last Myers-Briggs in 2001, and um, I had moved to the introverted side, but I've always gotten my energy from being alone. I can't get enough of being alone. I crave it. And I wonder, you know, so we hear about you change over the course. Some people change, and it could be based on your work life or your personal life, marriage, divorce, different kinds of things, being the head of household, running a company. And we also hear about how you turn it on and turn it off. So many of us, we perform as extroverts uh, at certain points in our lives, but we are deeply and truly introverts, and that's our preference. So I wonder when you tested that extroversion, I wonder, you know, that kind of speaks to to what the, the experts are saying. And so it's funny that you talked about you enjoy being alone. And I was going to ask you, how do you define your introversion and in what ways does it manifest? Because I think many of us crave that alone time and are, are most creative at that time. So is that the same for you with the solitude? Yeah, it is. I think uh the way I would define it is is very much the same way that that it's being defined uh, technically these days. You know that that need to think before I speak. Yes. And the the alone time to get energized. I think the the way that it kind of manifests in me is like I said earlier, I crave being alone um, as much as I adore my wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really enjoy the times when I can just be alone. And I grew up as an only child. So I think that probably adds to it. I love being alone. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the other way that it manifests is it's always challenging for me to contribute my best in meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're in a meeting and someone asks a question or there, there's a conversation on the table or a decision that needs to be made. I really need time to think. And it's very challenging for me. And, and I often go away from meetings a little deflated because I don't feel like I was able to contribute my best. I think that we talked about that. We met uh, previously when you were doing consulting work for a company where I was employed. And I remember, I don't know if you told me I was an introvert or I mean, I already knew I was, but I don't know how it came up where we started talking about introversion. I'm going to bet that you brought it up. And I know you were helping us with leadership as our, and I worked in the executive level as the company was transforming and transitioning. And so you gave me a copy of Susan Cain's book, Susan Cain, who wrote Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And I already had a copy and had read it, but I gifted your copy to someone else who truly appreciated it. But I appreciated that thought and that you saw me. And I'm curious about if you remember... And, and now, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm asking too many questions, but I want to tie it back to what you just said. I think we had a conversation about speaking in meetings, and I think I said something to you about 
I don't know the answer right now. It's still cooking. It's still working. It's processing. And maybe that's what led to our conversation about introversion. I think that's where it came from. And so I wanted to know, do you remember this? And, and why did you give me this book? And and why did you feel compelled? Or how did you know to, to comfort me in that way and be supportive in that way about not speaking right away in meetings? I know that was I remember lot. it. I remember it very well. Okay. And I also remember that it was you who had the awareness. I didn't point it out to you. You knew. And there was some degree of, you know, I don't want to say embarrassment, but I think you kind of saw it as no like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I, mm-hmm. I think that's the way you were feeling about it. And mm-hmm. that broke my heart. Um, mm-hmm. I've always felt when I see people with an introverting preference, I always feel like I, I want to be their champion. And I don't think that's because I am one. I I know it's not. It's because my whole purpose in life is to lift people up. And, and how do we create organizational cultures and leaders that lift people up? And so when I see introverts not you know, not having space, not being heard, not being seen, it kills me. And so I saw you in um, that conversation and the way you were feeling about yourself. And I just thought, you have so much to offer. And I get that you don't, there isn't the space made for you here. So, A, I want to help Jerry really understand that this is not anything wrong with you. It's just, a way that you prefer to interact with people. And and so I wanted you to feel better about yourself and not feel like there's something wrong with you. And then on the other side, I wanted your team to benefit from your thinking. I think that's, that's a huge thing. I, I'm, you probably know the statistics around this, Jerry, but I believe there's something like 50% of the population is introverted. Yeah, Susan Cain says one-third to one-half the world, so that includes, you know, everything outside of the United States. Yeah, so in business, Mm -hmm. if, you know, if that's true, one-third to one-half of your employee population is introverted, and you're not making space for them, you're not taking into consideration that these are people who need a little time to think things through in order to bring their best thinking to the conversation. If you're not making space for that, you're missing a third to a half of your brain power. That's a huge deal. And so just in that microcosm where this organization where I met you, I felt like, wow, Uh, and you weren't the only introvert in that group. There were a few people that were just just not getting the best thinking uh, that's possible here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that I did see it at that time as a weakness. That's my word, not yours. And so you helped me work around that. And the more I talked about it, I was saying to you, it, it put me on this journey. You know, I'm just thinking back on all the things in my life. Another thing and another issue was 
It's just diversity of voice. As you said, everyone's voice needs to be heard. And it's, you know, more than gender and race, but also in just personality style and how we view things and how we observe and all that we can add from that. Another one of my things, I think, which made me feel a little different or not like everyone else is the fact that I'm African-American. So I think I was the only African-American and I felt just more introverted than everyone else. And so those two things, I think, because we are unfortunately sort of, I think, raised to try and fit in. And so when you don't fit in, then, you know, you are highlighting or noticing within yourself these couple of things that make you different. Other people may not notice it, but I think you do or I do because I think we're kind of overly critical of ourselves. So thank you for that, Andrew. And I don't want to keep talking about me. Let's talk about you. So when you came in to do this work, you know, so I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about the Bennett Performance Group and a little bit about you and and your story and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Well, when I got out of college, I went to Michigan State University. And when I got out of college, I was very focused on kind of the traditional career path of get a job, climb the ladder, aspire to be an executive. Those were my ambitions. And so I was lucky enough to meet Ross Perot. I became his personal assistant. He became my mentor. I took on a a lot of different jobs in the company, but that's where I kind of got exposed to great leadership. I was very lucky that I was in the right place at the right time and I met him and he was a great leader. And I kind of took it for granted because I just thought without, I was young, without a lot of experience in the business world, I just kind of thought, well, this is the way it is. But as time went by, I realized, wow, yeah, great leaders are rare. And so I started to become very, very interested in leadership. And then I guess about the time that I chose to leave working for Ross to go to work for a training and consulting firm, because that's the path that I had decided I wanted to go on because of my passion for leadership. I went to this very small consulting firm in Seattle. And it corresponded, it coincided with a lot of personal stuff in my life that was kind of coming home to roost. I had a lot of loss early in my life, and there was a lot of pain that had been suppressed, and that was kind of coming up. And so that old career path of climbing the ladder was being shifted. It was evolving into a more purpose driven rather than the purpose being get a great title, get a big salary, get a house on the golf course, get the right car, et cetera. I started to become more interested in how can I help people lead good lives? How can I help them in their work? Because I saw a lot of people who were, you know, like Henry David Thoreau said, living lives of quiet desperation. And it felt, felt really sad to me. And so I wanted to help people lead good lives. And so I worked for the consulting firm for about five years in Seattle. And then I started Bennett Performance Group. And that was 27 years ago. I founded it on April Fool's Day in 1997. And since then, I've worked with over 120 organizations. And I've done 39 long-term 
culture, leadership, revitalization projects that take anywhere from a year to five years. And then I do keynote speaking a lot and coaching. I'm curious about, which we kind of haven't really mentioned this too much except in your bio, How? what made you decide to incorporate magic into your talks? I've seen it. So how did you how how did you come to up with that idea to incorporate? It's it's such a wonderful story because it's a great leadership story. I started doing magic when I was seven years old, so I've been doing it for over fifty years. And when Ross Perot hired me, he didn't know that I was a magician. And so at the holiday party that first year, I did a little magic show for the office. And afterwards, he came up to me and he said, Andy, that's real clever how you do that magic. From now on, whenever you do a business presentation, I want you to use magic in it. Wow. And so about four months later, there was an opportunity for me to do a presentation. And he he asked me to do this presentation. And it was for the General Motors Board of Directors. Mm. Uh, huge stakes. Like, (laughs) this is not the place that you want to be experimenting with, you know, Andy, the boy magician. So (laughs) I was 23 years old and General Motors had just bought Ross's company, EDS. And I won't get into the story, but that was the first time that I incorporated it. And he said, I don't want you to just do magic to do a magic trick. It has to have a point. You've got to tie it into the point you're trying to make. And so I did in that presentation. And while I was doing the trick, this huge like King Arthur round table, the body language around the table was just unbelievable. People were, I just was saying to myself in my head, I just, this is it. I'm done. Uh, They hate this. I'm bombing. Yeah, the body language was just really negative. And then I got to the point where the magic happens, and I also was making my main point about this decision we were asking them to make. And the magic happens really dramatically. It's just boom. And the place erupted. Mm -hmm. It was, they were like little kids. (laughs) I mean, most of them stood up. They got out of their chairs and started pacing. And people were slamming their fists on the table. And I looked back. Ross was kind of leaned back in his chair. And he was just smiling at me and shaking his head. Like, yep, I told you so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's how it all started. And I've worked on it ever since and have just continued to figure out how can I use magic to... Uh, really amp up the ability to help people grow. So it's always been in service of helping people. It's not the magic is a tool. It's not the point. Wow. And I've seen it. And and I've seen the crowd as you perform a trip and everyone is like a little kid, just amazed, (laughs) waiting to see what's going to happen. And then when you pull it off, we're like, Wow. And then tie it to, okay, this is what we're talking about today, transforming or, you know, all of this stuff. So that's, I love that. And I'm sure there are not that many people that do that. So that's, uh, that's cool for you. Now, you there are, about- there are a few people I've found. I oh, founded really? a group, founded a group three years ago 
kind of over the years, one by one, I found magicians who are doing this kind of work and I found eight and I pulled them together and we call ourselves magic on purpose. Mm. And so each one of us has a different message. None of us are teaching the same message, but we're all very passionate about using magic for purposes beyond entertainment and to make life better for for people. Magic can be this really wonderful catalyst for growth. Wow. I love that. I wanted to ask you, you you said that you speak and so you're, you know, speak to different audiences, large audiences, and we know that you've done two TEDx talks. And so I have to ask you as a person who is, you know, intimidated by public speaking, how do you do that? Are you nervous? Were you nervous? If you were nervous and are not now, what did you do to overcome that? Jerry, I am more nervous now than I have ever been. Really? It doesn't yeah, you would, you would think that over time you would just get used to it, get comfortable with it, but that's not the truth. So it becomes one of those cases of how do you manage it? And when people hear that, and I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but people don't, they don't think, wow you were nervous because it doesn't come across. I've just learned how to manage it. And so I have all kinds of things that I do to put me in the best possible place where I'm going to be able to do do the best possible job and minimize my anxiety. I just taught in a TEDx masterclass for people who aspire to do a TEDx talk, and I shared a lot of my preparation. I really pulled back the curtain and talked about my anxiety and all the things that I do to make sure I can do my very best. But people are always surprised when I say I'm an introvert because of all the assumptions that people have who don't really know what introversion, extroversion is. They just think because you're a speaker, you must be extroverted. Well, no, and it's very, very draining when I do my work when it because it's always with people. It's very draining for me. And and I'm hearing this. The more people I talk to, so I talk to a former NFL player who is on television now. He's doing the sports analyst. He's a sports analyst. He says he's always nervous. And talking to Valerie Jarrett, and she said she's pretty much always nervous except for when she's completely comfortable with the content. So it's interesting that from all walks of life, you know, I – we are nervous and we are maybe having a little anxiety, but maybe that's a good thing as we want to do our best and we want to give the audience what they're looking for. So uh, I'm starting to think differently about being nervous and, and, and realize, and I hope our audience knows the same, it's okay, but we just have to figure out how to manage it, you know, so we're more at ease with it and are able to present and not fall out or, you know, fall down or or shake or something like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that helps me is reminding myself that I have something of value to share Mm -hmm. and that if I don't share that, and again, I'm not trying to sound grand, but if the world doesn't hear from you, we're missing out on your unique 
way of bringing value to the world. There's only one you. And you have all these experiences and all this knowledge and your talents and your things that you care about. And if we don't hear that from you, we miss out on enriching our lives because we haven't had the benefit of hearing what you have to say. And so I have to remind myself that this is not about me. This is to help other people. And that kind of takes me out of myself. And that helps. That's so important. That, that's profound there. Right. Because we are all different and we all have something to say. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that advice and that message. We are now wrapping it up. And I thank you for this. And I wanted to ask you, is there any additional advice that you may have for our introvert tribe or for any of our extroverts that are listening who are trying to understand their introverted spouse or boss or kid or friend? Any additional advice for us? Well, I think just for introverts and extroverts, realizing that this topic is about how do we get the best out of everyone. And so for introverts, I mean, if, if we all start at that place and remember that this is this dynamic of introversion, extroversion, if, if, it's, if we aren't conscious of it, then it's going to get in the way of us doing our very best. But if we are conscious, all of us, that's the the foundation. And then for introverts to just ask for ways that people can help you offer your best. Like, can I get questions ahead of time for this interview? Can I know what the topics are for this meeting? Is there reading I can do so that I can do some thinking and preparing ahead of time? Mm -hmm. And then for extroverts, I think giving the introverts every opportunity to bring their best and and providing them with thinking time. One of the things that I do routinely when I'm speaking and, and I'll offer the audience a chance to reflect when I'm teaching, I always give about five minutes for people to reflect and just write down their thoughts before they speak. And that kind of gives introverts a little space before we just ask the question, open it up, and the extroverts jump in, mm-hmm. and there's no space. So just that little technique of give a little reflection time, and then we'll go into the conversation really helps. I love that. And it sort of levels the playing field a bit. Mm-hmm. Everyone can start at the same time because you've given us space and we can write mm-hmm. and think. So that I, I, I hope many people are listening and will take that piece of advice because it's a good one. So thank you, Andrew Bennett. Um, if people would like to know more about Andrew and his business, his group, who can come to your company and help with your culture, you can find him at andrewbennett.com and we will also put links up to his Facebook, LinkedIn all of that good stuff because you can find Andrew everywhere thank you Andrew so much for giving us your time this morning and your thoughts and your message thank you Jerry, it's wonderful to talk to you thank you you have to believe we are magic check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 
introverts hush loudly and listen to past episodes at wgnradio.com or hushloudly.com. And then-